0: Didn't it? It just, Indiana though, he had that same opportunity, but he let it go. Why is it that some people spot danger in their pursuit of certain things and they they stop? Why is it some people stop before destruction, stop before harm? And why is it some people just blow past the warning signs, walk on the thin ice and then fall and are destroyed, disqualified now, we've been looking at this idea of the quest for wisdom, and it's something, according to Scripture, that we, we should spend all of our time, our, our best energy, our best resources to pursue wisdom, the Scripture says. And then once it's found, though, there are still dangers. Once you grow in wisdom, once you really come to a point where you understand and how to do life God's way, it doesn't mean that you're um, protected from losing ground. It doesn't mean that your um, wisdom won't fail you. you. You have to really still pay attention in life. There's certain things that could cause you and cause me to just move in the wrong direction. So we're going to look at this, some different ideas, some different passages from the Bible. And so the first thing you see on the listening guide, the top of your listening guide, if you'd like to follow along, you can, is this. Even the wisest people can lose ground and can go astray. Even the wisest people, even the the sharpest, most intelligent, the wealthiest, the most powerful, the most strategic, even these people, they can lose ground and go astray. There's things they can do that can seriously take them down, off course. And so what I want to look at in this final message is I want to look into God's Word at some of the limits of wisdom and learn what are those dangerous, thin ice areas that we will encounter in our pursuit of wisdom. And we need to pay attention to these because, as you saw, it's costly if we don't. It's costly to blow past the warnings. So I want to first start by looking at how wisdom can go astray. By giving a couple of examples of people who are wise beyond their years, just unusually wise people that that went astray. The first one is from a passage in the book of Ezekiel. And I'm going to explain a little bit of the background of this so that you'll Be able to understand why I'm talking about this guy. Um, Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet that God raised up to speak truth and to encourage and challenge God's people and to warn some of the surrounding nations. So God's people, at a certain point in history, were invaded by an army. So God's people are invaded by an army. And a hundred years later, another army comes in and again invades them and begins to deport them, taking them hostage and sending them to a foreign land, land of Babylon. And as that happened, of course, the people of Israel, God's people, began to get discouraged. They began to lose perspective. They began to wonder, is God still in charge? Did he allow this to happen to us? Is God behind all this, or where is God? And so Ezekiel was communicating, God still loves you. He still, do not forsake him. He's saying, because some of them had forsaken, they've shifted gears and began to worship other gods in the foreign land. And so Ezekiel was saying, don't, don't, don't do that. God wants you to know he's still the Lord. He keeps reminding them through 24 chapters of this book in Ezekiel. He says, I want you to know I am the Lord, your God. And he keeps saying the sovereign Lord wants you to know these things. And he he ends with this message. God wants you to know that he is the Lord, your God. He's trying to, to remind them that though you're far from where you thought you'd be. He's still in control. So they needed to hear that. They needed this comfort. But then there were these surrounding nations, enemies of Israel, that when when Israel was invaded and then deported, they began to taunt the nation of Israel, saying things about the nation, saying things about their land, saying things about their God. And so not only did the prophet Ezekiel have a message to encourage God's people, but he also had a message to warn about God's impending judgment on these nations. And so what I want to look at is just a brief portion of a prophecy against the nation of Tyre, okay? And Tyre was a, a place where um, they were this wealthy city. A lot of people came and traded with them, made them more wealthy. And the king of Tyre believed he was like a god. And so if you study the the passage, you'll, you'll see that he lifted himself, the king of Tyre, he lifted himself up like a god, believed he was um, actually above God. And so Ezekiel was saying, you're just a man. You might act like a god, you might think you're a god, but you're just a man, you're not as wise. as people like Daniel and other people, and he's just kind of, he's proclaiming a message. And I want you to look at some of the things, because this king was a very wise man. He was so wise that his wealth, it famed that whole region, and people from other countries went and traded with him. And he just continued to make wise trades, increasing his wealth. But his wisdom began to fail. Look at what it says in verse 4. He says, by your wisdom, he's talking to the king, by your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself. You've amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. By your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth. And because of your wealth, because of your wealth, your heart has grown proud. That was the danger. Growing in wisdom, which leads to success, opens us up for believing, wow, I'm pretty skillful, I'm pretty successful. I've arrived at something and, well, his heart grew proud. The king of Tyre's heart grew proud. Later on in the passage, the prophet Ezekiel, he shifts around verse 11. And he's still giving a message to the king of Tyre, but then he begins to talk to someone else. And he was talking to the ruler, the real person in charge of the king of Tyre, which is Satan. And he begins to give this prophecy that was intended for the king of Tyre, but is really talking about Satan and how Satan, like the king of Tyre, was wise. He was skillful. He's powerful, but his wisdom allowed his heart to get proud. I want to read a few things that's not up on the screen from that portion. This is verse 12. But listen, this is to a king, but it's really to someone else. Look at what it says. It says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, the king of Tyre was never in Eden. So he's talking about someone who was there, a created being there in the garden of Eden, the beginning of time, beginning of creation. Every precious stone adorned you. And he names off all these stones. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14 says, You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. He's talking about Satan. And Satan was one of an inner circle of angels. Satan was an angel who God created and he was scripture says he was blameless and meaning there was no wickedness found in him there was a there was a time where Satan was one of the inner circle the cherubim that were protecting God's holiness and they were allowed to be in God's presence to protect God's holiness and he had tremendous access is a privileged place that Satan held at one point and it says though it says that You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Something turned in Satan. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub. Then it says, verse 17, which is what we have up here, your heart became proud. Same thing that happened with the king of Tyre. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So Satan eventually grew proud, which led to his destruction. If you understand this, there's some other passages in Isaiah. You can read more about Satan's fall. 1 Timothy talks about it. But as we weave together an understanding from the Bible, Satan was tremendously wise. But he was not wise to the point to where he couldn't fall. And, and he did. God brought, he's not finished dealing with Satan. But wisdom does not exempt us from losing ground. Another example, that's just one example. Another example is found in a warning. God, in the book of Deuteronomy, gave the Israelites specific instructions on they're going to possess the land, the promised land. And then he gave them specific instructions for the king. He prohibited the king from a few things. So look at this passage. It says... God was trying to, through Moses, God was saying, here's what the king should not do. The king moreover must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt and get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. Verse 17 says, he also must not take many wives for his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So there's three things about the king's behavior that God's singling out. And he's saying these things are prohibited for the king, for my The king for my people, this wise man who would take that position. The first thing, he was prohibited from acquiring a great number of horses. God was saying, an obedient king, one who is close to God, should not depend on his military strength or his might physically, but on God alone. Don't depend on bulking up yourself, your army, trying to intimidate Let me fight the victory, fight the battles for you, saying, don't. You know, plan the intimidation factor. Second thing was, he was prohibited, the king was prohibited from taking many wives. You see it in the text. Many kings would marry foreign women to form political alliances. And if a king did that, you know, they they felt like they would be, again, stronger in battle. But if a king stayed close to the Lord, they wouldn't need political alliances. God was saying, I want you to stay close to me. I'm enough. You don't need these other things. So don't... And not to mention, foreign wives would usually cause the king's heart, the temptation was that the king's heart would be led astray as they be tempted to worship the gods of their wives, these foreign wives. The third thing they were prohibited, the king was prohibited from was from storing up large amounts of silver and gold. Because God wanted to intend, He intended to keep developing a sense of, of dependence. He didn't want the king to become independent and just be lusting for material wealth and more and more and more. All of these restrictions were to be in place so that the king would remain a servant of God, dependent on the true king. Does that make sense? So God's given this, this warning and then Solomon, the king of Israel, the second king of Israel, he was the wise, you know, like we said, one of the wisest men who ever lived. Eventually he broke all three of these things. We've been studying the book of Proverbs. You know, he, God used him to write most of the book of Proverbs, but he broke all three of these things that God warned the king not to do. Listen to what happened. This is not in your outline, but listen to 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 through 4. It's interesting to see just how, you know, God set very specifically, set some limits around him, and then one by one, he, he just did what he wanted to do. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women, besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. He liked them all. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them. because And it's not that God didn't like these people, but listen to what he says, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had a lot of room in his heart because, listen, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his he was a busy, busy man. He's a busy guy. And his wives led him astray. Can you believe it? (laughs) Just as God predicted. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was no longer fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his... Father David has been. It's 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 sad. He 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 eventually he broke those things. So what is it we need to do? If these guys, Solomon, one of the wisest men ever, Satan, a wise angelic being that God created, this foreign king, if these men were wise, and I would venture to say, probably wiser than you know than most, if they were here, we'd probably all be wanting to spend some time talking and picking their brain. How is it that they? Went off track. And what do we need to do as we grow in wisdom? As we hit a point where we feel like I'm trying to, I'm starting to get a handle on the life that God wants me to lead. I'm starting to learn how to do things God's way. How do we steer clear from the traps that these men fell to? How do we stay on course for years? That's what I want to look at this morning. The first thing is this. Deal quickly with foolish patterns within me. When I recognize Foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. When I see foolishness in my life, I need to deal aggressively and quickly with those patterns within me. I've listed five things in parentheses there. Those are the patterns. These are Old Testament patterns. When the Bible says fool in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for fool is not a single word. When we read fool in the Bible, it just says fool. This guy's a fool. That behavior is foolish. That's folly. This is folly. We read it and we think foolishness must mean mentally deficient. You know, it's a mental deficiency. But in Scripture, it was a moral deficiency. There was a pattern that they were missing. There was a pattern they were um, not recognizing that was bringing real harm in their life. But there's these five patterns that I've summed up with these five words. There's a pattern, a foolish pattern called kassil. It's it's The Hebrew word is kasil, but it means laziness. It's the person who takes an easy approach to life just... He's looking for shortcuts. He's trying to find the magic key. He or she is trying to find the magic key that's just going to open up doors. And so rather than working hard in life, they're never committed to anything. They're just lazily working. or They're doing whatever is the least resistance in life. They take the path of least resistance, least pressure, the easiest course. They're constantly um, being sloppy. And if this foolish pattern shows up in us, it can do great harm. It's the easy way. It's just wanting an easier road in life. If you notice that, that's dangerous. It's something that will do real destruction. Control. Manipulation and control. Reaction. Reacting is another one. Anger, manipulation. That's another type of foolish pattern. The word in Hebrew is evil, and it just means it has to do with a real stubborn, I have to have my way. It's when we drive our agenda, we drive what we want and we control others through our anger, through our looks, through our body language, through the silent treatment, through blowing up. We, we do it to, to manipulate others to give us what we want. That's a foolish pattern that the scripture says is really dangerous. And it works against wisdom. The third one is the fun way. It's just when we choose to go after things that promise to please us, but they really don't. And we keep making those same decisions. This is when people get into addictions. Sometimes it's drugs, alcohol. Sometimes it's gambling. Sometimes it's just the party life. But all of that is, is wrapped up in this idea of the fun way. It's a foolish pattern, again, that will rob us of our wisdom. The Pride. Another thing is pride. Just the glory way. All about me. All about shining. All about looking better than others. Lifting myself myself up. That's something that can do great damage. And the last one, the predatory way. It's a cruel approach to life, a harmful approach to life, to where when people cross us and block our goals, we'll we'll step on them, we'll hurt them. It's a lot of dangerous characters. This is the pattern. But these different foolish patterns, look at Ecclesiastes 10.1. Look at what it says. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell. So a little folly, just a little bit of foolish behavior, outweighs wisdom and honor. You are not going to hit a point where your wisdom will protect you alone. Just a little bit of folly can do great damage to a wise person. This, this word folly in this verse, it actually is the fun way full. It's the, the one in the middle, the sackle full. The Hebrew term is sackle. It just means the fun way. There was a bird called a dodo bird that's no longer around. It's an extinct bird. That kind of represents this fool because it would walk up to, to other animals or people. Big bird. But it was a dodo bird. It, it just didn't realize how, what would someone see? They see this big bird. It, it looks kind of intimidating. Just slam the thing and kill it with a rock or something. Well, it didn't learn from its mistakes. It didn't learn from this pattern. It would just continually walk up. Well, it became eventually extinct because it was so dumb. That's descriptive of this of this fool, is we do things sometimes that we don't realize how foolish and painful and harmful they are to our lives and to our future. But just a little bit of folly outweighs wisdom, great wisdom and honor. The higher, another thing is, the higher a man or a woman's character is, the more hurt is caused by a sinful folly within us. The more higher your character, the more damage foolishness will do to your life the more status you have, the more responsibility you're given. If you dabble in fully and don't deal with it aggressively, it will cause more problems for you. Getting caught up in foolish behavior is way more costly than we think. It may cost us our family. It might cost you your closest friends. It might cost you your job, your future, your career. It might cost you your ministry. I know many people that have disqualified themselves from ministry. I know of one person who can't even... He wants to, he wants to, to use his gifts in a church setting. And as he, as he gets into churches, his reputation keeps following him. Because he gave way to a little bit of folly, didn't really identify it as folly. Well, his reputation has stained his ability to make progress. So he has to go to another city in order to really do ministry, where no one knows him because he stained it in the city that he lives in. That's sad, but it's, this, this is how this works. This is how it happens. The first step though in dealing with our foolish patterns is just admitting. Admitting, like, I have some foolishness in me. Admitting my folly and turning away from it. See if you can name it. Think about those five things. Is there one of those that you feel like, yeah, I can kind of see my struggle in one of those areas? Identify it. See if you can name it. Secondly, aggressively work against your foolish pattern. Just decide, I need to stay After it. I need to keep working against this. If it's laziness, if you feel like it's the, if if you're the person that's, I'm just looking for the easy way, the shortcut, that magic key that's going to unlock my life, and you keep, you know, counting on the super lotto to, to just bring it all together, then you have to work against it by becoming a hard worker, by becoming a truth teller, by just clearing things up when you've, when you've, Lied in order to protect your easy approach, you have to keep working at the truth, working diligently, being a hard worker. That's how you work against it. if you're the person that is struggling and the issue is anger, control, manipulation, you know, it has to be your way. Proverbs twelve fifteen describes this person as you know the one who sees that their way is right. They think their way is right, but in the end it leads to death. They're convinced my way's right, and they're not willing to budge in an argument, in a in a problem. What you have to do to work against is you have to keep working against the stubbornness and the anger that rises up. Learn to submit your agenda to those who are in authority. Refuse to control people with manipulation. Refuse to control people with your body language, with our anger, with, with any form of manipulation. That's the thing we have to work against. If it's the fun party way, if it's the third, you know, then th- this person is driven by impulsion, by the party life. You have to focus on bearing responsibility rather than bailing on responsibility. If we choose the party way, the fun way, we can't really hold down a job because we can't be depended on. And so to work against it is to stay put and be faithful. To just keep working, bearing up under the real pressure that comes in all of our lives. And learning to be a person of responsibility and good judgment. That's what we got to stay after. If it's pride, if it's the pride way then you've got to learn to serve faithfully and wait for God to exalt you. Rather than pushing ourselves up to the top and saying, look at me, look at what I've done here, look at my reputation, look at my resume. We have to just wait on God. And what we need to do is we need to exalt other people ahead of us. Look at Him. Man, look what He's doing. Look at Him. Look at Him. Rather than talking about all we've done, talk about what, what, what they're doing. Exalt other people and wait on God to exalt The last one, if it's intense selfishness, harshness, just be someone who's focused on giving, compassionately being a giver, other-centered person. That's, that's what this person has to work against. But this whole area of dealing with foolishness in us, um, it may sound minimal and even comical, but it's extremely destructive. It will disqualify a person from really growing in wisdom. will just stay where we're at in life. Keep repeating, the same year, over. And over and over because we're not dealing with the core issues that are preventing our growth. The second way to stay on course through the years is to combat the three most common temptations in life. We have to combat the three most common temptations in life. Here they are and you see them. Pleasure, possessions, and position. Pleasure, possessions, position. These three things will, again, they'll take a wise person down. Look at First John 2. John said to the church, he said, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, that's pleasure. The things we want, those desires for pleasure, the desires to please ourselves, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, which is possessions. And the boasting of what he has and does, that's position, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Those things, pleasure, possessions, position, those, God didn't, those aren't, he's not motivating us to go after those things. Those are things that are attached to the world. Those are worldly things that The verse says the world and its desires pass away. Those things are passing away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Another way to remember these three areas is sex, salary, and status. Sex, salary, status. Same thing. Pleasure, possessions, position. The same idea comes through in this verse. But these are the big three that take wise people down year after year after year. Business leaders. Family leaders, ministry leaders, friends, foolish people, over and over and over. These three temptations keep taking people down. Pleasure. Just look at them really quickly. Pleasure is that, it's, Scripture says, it's the cravings of sinful man. It's the desire for sex, porn, food. It's also known as the lust of the flesh. We just want some things. Desire some things. We just That's pleasure. Possessions. Is the lust of his eyes. We just can't, we're not satisfied with what we have, so we're always looking for more. We're focused on what we don't have and what they have. So it fuels, it's fueled by the American dream, but we get greedy, discontent. The other one, position, is this, this verse, or the part of the verse where it says the boasting of what he has and does. It's just position. We want to be worshiped and remembered beyond our life. So we start getting jealous and envious of what other people have. And all along the way we're getting more and more dissatisfied with our own life. We look at their life and our life just doesn't look that good. We look at their marriage and our ours and we begin to, to go after position. We we get our we get focused on the wrong things. Adam and Eve they experienced all of these temptations in the garden. If you think about what they were tempted, they were tempted with pleasure, possessions, position satan came to them with this with these lies you can have more you can have more and satan he's not using a different strategy he uses the same strategy and what he wants to do is first he wants to deceive us as he deceived them then he wants to disqualify us from really growing in wisdom and if he can his ultimate desire is to destroy us he's not that happy halloween character he really is out to destroy. Verse 17, if you look at it carefully, it clues us into how we overcome these three temptations. It says, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I need to do the will of God. I need to set my heart to do the will of God. I need to latch on things that will last forever, eternal purposes. C.S. Lewis, he said this. C.S. Lewis said, Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. So often we aim at the earth. We, we, we latch on to things that are right here and now and we miss. We, we can't enjoy what, what's on the earth. Solomon tried that. Tried to enjoy the things of the earth and he was not satisfied. You read about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. Aim at heaven. We need to pursue what's on God's agenda. The will of God. The man who does the will of God lives forever. So choose eternal priorities. Choose eternal things. Things that will last. Here's three things that combat those pleasure, possession, and position. Integrity is an eternal priority. Integrity combats pleasure. Integrity means you are one. You are all one in the same person. The person you are on the outside is, is the real you. The person you're presenting, that so you interact with people, that's the real you. People really know who you are. That's, you're a person of integrity. It doesn't mean that you're all perfect. It just means that when you're struggling... You're honest about your struggles. You're really, you're you're the real you. People can really help the real me if they know who I really am. They can't help the real me if I'm hiding it. Sin, though, is never private. Sin is never private. You never sin privately. We never, because it's going to hurt other people. It hurts my family. It hurts my friends. It hurts my church. It, It hurts people. So integrity, a life of integrity, it combats pleasure. Generosity combats possessions. The more I'm generous, the more I'm giving in my lifestyle, the more I become like Jesus. Jesus is the one, The more I'm generous, the more I'm like Jesus, because Jesus is the one who lived a life of sacrifice. And then ultimately, he gives up his life. He sacrificed to the very end. He gave his life when we give, we're like him, and giving it breaks the hold of materialism. it breaks that that pull for the materialism on our life. We have to combat the thinking of the more I get, the more I can spend, and the more I can have. instead, we need to think the more I get, the more I get to give. The more that God you know pours into my life, the more I get to pour back into the lives of others. A guy shared with me this morning he said. He came up and said, like, Josh, guess what? I got a raise. And he was excited. But he's like, I'm able to be more generous. He didn't say, I'm able to go buy that car I wanted to buy. He didn't say, I'm able to you know, do this and that. He just said, I, I got a raise. That gives me a chance to be more generous. And I was like, man, that is, that is awesome. Because it's breaking the chain of materialism. The desire for possessions. See, the more I get, the more he is entrusting me to invest in eternity. It's a different perspective. The last thing is humility. Humility combats position. The desire for position, the boastful pride of life. Humility is what God uses to beat beat that pressure down. Humility is being honest about my weaknesses. If you're a humble person, you can learn from anybody. If you'll choose humility, you you can learn from me. As young as I am, as different as I am, as unusual as my approach might be in teaching, you might come from a place where you need it to be taught in a certain way, and I can't learn from that other approach. That's not a humble thing, is it? I mean, it's, a, it's an arrogant thing. And so we sometimes get in a position where we can't learn from others, but it's a humility issue. It's not a teaching issue. It's a, it's a core attitude that is off. And so, you know, if you're a humble person, you can learn from your friend who's younger than you. You can even learn from people who make mistakes in life. I can learn from my friends from the good and the bad. I can learn from people a lot older than me who are in a very different stage of life. I can learn from people a lot younger than me who are in a different stage of life. If I decide I can't learn from people, then I stop growing. And I can even learn from my critics. And you can too. And I think we just have to decide... I need to be a learner. I need to humble myself. That combats this desire that tempts us, and and again will take us away from really growing in wisdom. So choose these eternal priorities. If you don't, your wisdom will fail you. It's just a matter of time. Ecclesiastes seven seven says extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. This is just one verse illustrating how wisdom can be corrupted through the obsession for more and more and more. So be on your guard against these things. The final thought regarding staying on course through the years is this. It's just stay humble before the Lord. Just to kind of go a little further on this idea of humility. Stay humble before the Lord. Don't lift yourself up above Him. That's what Satan did. He lifted himself up. And he was trying to lift up Adam and Eve saying you can be like God. That's what he so stay humble before the Lord. Push that desire for status, position, pride, push it down. Proverbs 21:30 and verse 30 and 31 says there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. That means that there's no one wise enough that can come up with a better plan than God no plan that I have no sermon I was thinking about this last night man no plan no sermon plan is going to be enough I need God to I need God directing the flow of these messages in our life no plan for my marriage is going to be enough there's no plan no wisdom no insight that can succeed against the Lord I need God look at the rest of the verse it says the horse is made ready for the day of battle but the victory rests with the Lord You and I will never not need God. We will never arrive at a point where we get to start bossing God around, giving Him orders. Every day, every battle, every struggle, every decision, God holds our victory. He is our deliverer. He holds the victory. He's in charge of the plan. As soon as I think I've arrived, then humiliation is imminent. Jesus said it in this way in Luke. He said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. It's a promise. We exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. God will not share his position. Only he is omniscient, all-knowing. He won't share that. And he holds his job security. He, It's a very personal issue for him. He takes his job security very personally. He'll see to it that we exalt ourselves. He will put us down. And oftentimes it's a public thing. But wisdom, we've been looking at this whole area of wisdom. This is a priceless pursuit. Our life quest of discovering how we do life God's way. It's so important. I want to wrap up with a final clip from Indiana Jones that really reminds us how important this pursuit is. Now, again, we're not chasing the Holy Grail, but think of your pursuit of wisdom and listen to what Indiana's father says. We have to crank the volume up to really hear it. But listen to what he says about his pursuit, the bigger picture. And look at, listen to the response, because as you pursue wisdom, it will not make sense to everyone. So let's take a look at this final clip. The quest for the Grail is not archaeology. It's a race against evil. If it is captured by the Nazis, the armies of darkness will march all over the face of the earth. Do you understand me? This is an obsession, Dad. I never understood it. Never. The quest that we find ourselves on, this quest for wisdom, in some way ought to look like an obsession to people. Some people will not get it. They won't understand us. Your life may not make a lot of sense to everyone, and that's okay. Because what we're after, it has the highest stakes possible. Pain, blessing, it's all wrapped up in our pursuit of wisdom, according to Scripture. It starts with fearing God. It's breaking through into a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, we connect with God through His Son, Jesus. That fear of the Lord begins wisdom. That's where it starts, the breakthrough point to wisdom. Once you connect with God through Jesus... The ability for life to make sense and come together, it opens up in this whole pursuit as we'll prioritize it all years of our life. But it has high stakes. We looked at Proverbs 4, 5-7 through 7 in the beginning of this message series several weeks ago. It says this, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it costs all you have, get understanding. Your very life depends on your pursuit of wisdom. So get wisdom. Your marriage, it depends on your pursuit of wisdom. So get it. Go after it. Your parenting, your children are depending on the fact that their parent or parents are pursuing wisdom. They're paying a high price to get wisdom. Your life, if you want a purpose beyond just existing, then get wisdom. We have to get wisdom. This is, you know, I want to just keep saying, get wisdom, get wisdom, because it's something we we got to get it, you know. And as a church, we need to get wisdom. We need to seek wisdom. Keep centering back to, what God's Word have to say? How do we do what God's Word has to say? It's not, wow, we come up with a great plan. Because, again, there's no insight, no wisdom, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. We need God to work out His plans in our lives, in our families, in our parenting, in our church. I do, I'm not angry at anybody. <laughs> i just, again, really grateful for um, a chance, you know, just c- for those of you who've come, been a part of this series. Even if it's your first message you've been to today, you know, I hope this has been helpful to you. There's some things on the back of your uh, listening guide, but also they're on the back of your connection card. If you take this card out, on the back it says, my next step today is, just these are some responses encourage you, and in a moment our our ushers will be coming forward, and when they do, drop this card in the offering. But consider taking one of these application steps. The first one is, admit a foolish pattern to God and ask a friend to pray for me. Just, if it's the lazy way, the control reactive way, the fun way, the pride way, the predatory way, admit whatever you feel like. This is the area of foolishness that I struggle with. Admit it and then ask a friend. Invite a friend in and say, I'm struggling in this area. I could use some prayer. I could use some perspective. I could use someone to check up on me. The second one is take action towards an eternal priority. Those are those things that combat. These things combat those common temptations. So take a step towards integrity, towards generosity, towards humility. Maybe it's accountability. A talk. Being joyful in your giving. Maybe it's letting others go first. Whatever it is, just take a step. The last one is continue pursuing wisdom by reading the New Testament book James this week. James is not, it's in the back of the, near the back of the Bible and it's a great practical book. It's kind of like the New Testament corollary to the book of Proverbs. There's five chapters, not a long book. Really practical stuff. I'd encourage you to, if you're done reading Proverbs, I encourage you to start reading the book of James. Just see, ask God, continue to speak to me. Help me to pursue wisdom. There's a lot to say in this book. And uh, I'd really encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, help us to get wisdom. Would you remind us of these things? Would you remind us of the importance and the value of wisdom? Though it costs us everything, it's supreme, God. There's nothing that compares. So, Lord, I pray that we would seek to to pursue and to rearrange our lives if needed. We give you the freedom to point out things right now in us. Even as we're praying, as we're singing, God, I pray that you're just shouting things to us, God, that we need to surrender to you. Maybe it's our life. Maybe we've never connected with you and you're just saying, it's the time. It's time to connect. It's time to, to let me work and you, for you to move over. God, I, I pray that people would take that step if that's where they're at. Lord, if it's, if it's just a step of surrender in one of these areas, Lord, I pray you just shout that in our hearts. Lord, help us not to move on or to, to quiet that voice as you speak to us. God, thank you for the way you do that. We love you. We need you to do that, God, through our lives. Help us to be lifelong learners, God.